Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. What a funny, dirty little mind. It's a funny, dirty little job. So shoot me in the leg. In this episode, we're speeding over the sand dunes of Alan Trussman's 1968 heist caper, The Thomas Crown Affair. Directed by Norman Jewison the year after the release of his Sidney Poitier masterpiece in the heat of the night, and 19 years before his share extravaganza Moonstruck, which is a big favourite of ours. This film was nominated for two Academy Awards, winning Best Original Song for Michel Legrand's The Windmills of Your Mind, and it also reinvented chess. Tonight, we'll be lighting the fire with Thomas, played by Steve McQueen, and Vicky by Faye Dunaway. Do these two have the love of a lifetime, or are we just running a sex orgy for a couple of freaks on government funds? Well, I think we are. I hope we are. It's what people tune in for, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Can, um, can you tell me uh, a little bit about um, your relationship to this film, Rich? I'll be honest. I mean, it's mostly just a, a lust of some sort, uh, an idolising of Steve McQueen. This was kind of his fashion peak I guess this and I think Bullet came a year afterwards there's kind of two films where you have someone whose nickname was the king of cool and you look at their fashion over those two movies and still kind of stands up today Um, Mm. and when you look at especially there was a remake about it's about 30 years later with with Pierce Brosnan and, and Rene Russo yeah and it's one of those films that actually as a remake actually did quite well yeah. And it does lead to the odd, I call it a Twitter spat, but it, it's normally a, a healthy debate, as all Twitter things are, um, about which was better. I'm always on this side because Steve McQueen is Steve McQueen and, and Piers Brosnan is cheese. But, um, <laughs> but um, I mean, it's just such a, a weird film when you kind of think about the a hero or anti-hero is a millionaire who's a bank robber it's a strange kind of empathy to put put yourself in that position where you're kind of following this guy and then the relationship with with Vicky as yeah basically there to catch him and how that develops this kind of cat and mouse thing and and over the story it's it's a very it's an interesting way it's been done in in many other films but I mean this was definitely one of the the most iconic and there's so many scenes in here which you look back at now and just think you know wow like 50 years later they're still amazing no no completely and I think when we talked about The Graduate on our episode dedicated to that film we um we chatted a bit didn't we about how that moment in time in the 60s kind of had this feeling about it where people were rejecting the establishment I mean, do you think this is what a lot of guys kind of dream is so that they can, they have all the good things about being successful, but they also get to sort of, you know, stick it to the system? I I think so. I think it just shows (laughs) that the idea of work to him is just, you know, is very, I suppose in the late 60s, the idea of him being rich and successful was him putting some, pressing some computer buttons and making some bleeping noises and all of a sudden he's like, wow, my trust fund has gone up by 8% or whatever it is. The fact that he's got these, the fast car and the, it's almost like a den in his, in his large townhouse. Yes. And all these things, you know, it's a proper man cave type thing. Proper (laughs) man cave. 
Does he have staff as well? I think he's, he has staff, doesn't he's, he? He's definitely got a butler or... Yeah. Uh, you know, when he says, I won't be needing you this evening. Yeah. <laughs> when we first meet him, he's dating a, a young European girl and he describes her as kind of someone to make him feel alive. I think it was the term he used. It, it sounds like she is a disposable pleasure there for his pleasure. Yeah. Um, she's there to feel jeopardy when he flies his glider and waits in a room waiting for him to call, talking about their dinner plans for the evening. Very much the yeah, bachelor's dream, I suppose. But then when you compare it to the bachelor's dream of when we watched The Apartment together, and that was a, the very opposite, I suppose, where where Baxter in there was basically a stooge and people using his apartment for nefarious means and he wasn't getting any. Yes, yes, completely. Completely. Um, What do you think uh, was the great charm to the to the ladies and obviously to the men too of um, Steve McQueen as a phenomenon? I mean, it's, it's an interesting one when you look at uh, how things are now in, in 2022. And I think I saw possibly you shared on, on Twitter a, a tweet about how uh, leading men of that era were a lot more rugged. Mm, yeah. Know, weathered, yeah. I think, was one of the terms. Yes, um, yes. And, and Steve McQueen, he I mean, he grew up in, in institutions. He was in the Marines, I think he was. And, you know, he had quite a an embittered teenage life before he kind of found acting. And yeah. I always thought, weirdly, for someone who's seen as this fashion icon who I mean basically if you look at the wardrobe behind most of the recent Bond films they are looking at Steve McQueen and Daniel Craig yeah, himself yeah. you know is very much looking at that yeah. um, and yet I always thought that Steve McQueen looks like Mo from The Simpsons which isn't a flattering <laughs> comparison um, yeah. but he has this you know from from his roles you know the the tough guy the he carries himself with a uh, almost like a brooding charisma he's mm. not quite as as brash as say Clint Eastwood or anything like that but he definitely has this sort of aura around him and I think a lot of it's the way he carries himself as opposed to the way he sort of throws it around but um he yes. you know he he wears a suit the suits don't wear him that's absolutely true and also I thought that that scene you know where he goes out into the night and he um he mess, you know, he gets the the guy's car to to crash into the tree, and so I thought that in that scene where he's got his denim jacket on and uh, hat and trainers, I thought that he looked actually like exactly, yeah, exactly what a lot of um, the guys during the Britpop era were trying to model themselves on. Like I thought, wow, that sequence, even though you can tell by the quality of the film that this is filmed in the sixties, if you just saw him, you'd think it was in the mid nineties. Uh, so yeah there's some there's something about him as a as a as an icon both both in terms of the kind of the bondesque suit wearer but also when he's in his more casual get i mean i think you you quite like him in his cable knit jumper don't you oh yeah i mean that, yeah. that that that's the look i mean that's a jumper that a lot of people aspire to yes. and, but when he meets vicky at this auction well this this is where they meet anyway she's come to investigate on behalf of the insurance company for the bank um she's come to investigate the robbery and she immediately after going through a couple of leads 
decides that he is the he's the suspect or the ringleader or the mastermind behind it all because he didn't actually do the robbery he hired a mix of nefarious goons to carry out this attack and and, and leave leave the money for him yeah so when the bank have hired her as this specialist to come and to come and investigate and she picks him out from his photograph and goes that's him yeah that's the one that's, that's the, the one. one yeah and she looks at this immediately <laughs> you've got you know the the relationship between her and 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 the police officer and then the other the bank colleague you know, to to snare him but they're going for all these things and but yeah the the way that she kind of sees him and and uh, throughout the film the way that she deals with stuff it is very much like this renegade cop kind of thing that we'll see with so not quite on the same scale but like dirty harry you know some of the things that she does to get evidence to get her man in in both ways she takes a lot of risks takes a lot of gambles you can see why she's highly sought after but it's uh the the way that they meet at this uh, charity auction because that's how all good meetings should occur i think so I think so, and um, I like the, I like the champagne glasses that they're sipping from. It's all, it's all so incredibly glamorous. I think that this might be. It's definitely one of the most glamorous uh, films that we've covered, isn't it? Like the, there's something about the connection between them and the lifestyle that they're enjoying together, and the nature of their affair is all very. You know, I think that that the scene that I'm sure will come to the the big seduction scene that's so famous. I was I was thinking that it conjures up something that I thought that adulthood was going to be filled with, which is you know these incredibly, you know, a very it's a sort of soft lighting and and big open and big open fires and and there maybe being some cocktails and and you know a, a seduction being played out over over a game of some kind and it all being so smooth in that in that way. I mean, one thing that's quite striking about this one in comparison to some of the ones that we've done before is that it's actually quite light on dialogue, isn't it? It's more it's more about the visuals, the shots, you know, the eye contact between the two of them, the kind of the physical chemistry of them and also how they're both styled. It's it's more visual, isn't it, than than verbal. When I was doing some reading about this, I think Roger Ebert described it as underplotted, over photographed um, (laughs) in in his review of the film. And from from that point of view, it is, I guess, there weren't a lot of words and and the attraction between them, a lot of it was nonverbal. You've got Vicky who suspects him of a crime. And this is the weird thing, because she's not a police officer, I guess the, the rules of engagement are somewhat different, but she is convinced he's done it. Yeah. He knows, obviously he knows he's done it, but he is trying to be coy because whenever she grills him about it, he never denies it. He just stays silent or sort of talks a bit in, in riddles, which means that there's a lot of kind of silences, a lot of looks that kind of shift, you know, when she accuses him and he starts, has a little twinkle and goes, okay, he'll prove it. Yeah. How, how are you going to catch me? Um, yeah. <laughs> but even, you know, when, when we'll talk about the chess scene. Yeah. This isn't two 19-year-olds fumbling over a game of Guess Who and a bottle of hooch. It's, <laughs> it, this is, and, and the weird thing is, I think I s- might have seen Austin Powers too. 
before this. Although yes. I was aware, I think I read that it was parodying Thomas Crown. Yes. So seeing a parody of a scene before you see the original is always a strange, surreal moment. It's like like when I said about The Graduate and House of Wayne's World 2 first, but it's always Mike, yes, it's always yeah. Mike Myers. So yeah, and, and when you see this, there is... I didn't remember it being so overt in yes, the way that they had the, the eyes, the focus on the eye shifting, her being very aggressive in that way. Um, and then the way she was manipulating the chess pieces. Yes. For a film in, again, this, you know, being the 1960s where, where attitudes were starting to change. Yeah. It's very forward of her. <laughs> not, in a, not, not in an accusatory way, but it's very... You could see why he was suddenly looking uncomfortable. You know, he's organised a multi-million bank robbery and all these things and dealing with his business stuff. And all yes. of a sudden a woman is playing with her bishop or whatever it was. And all of a sudden he's looking shifty and nervous and jumpy. <laughs> he can't handle it. <laughs> and she she's kind of dressed as a chess piece, isn't she? I can notice that. Um, mm. They've kind of got her in this uh, kind of fle- flesh-coloured um, sort of chiffon dress that's really incredible. And all of you know, has a, there's something about the way she looks in her hair and everything. It's a little bit like she's she's one of the chess pieces herself. And I don't know whether you've ever seen the the um, the 1963 Tony Richardson film, the adaptation of Tom Jones with Albert Finney in it. But um, there's a quite a famous scene in that where it's completely non-verbal between him and a lady he's about to go to bed with, where it's just uh, the two of them enjoying this meal together in a tavern and they're kind of cracking open lobsters and eating chicken and they're doing it with all their, ha- their hands and stuff, you know, and Eat, biting into fruit and just looking looking at each other looking into the camera and it's all just yeah there's no dialogue and uh reminds me of this one very much and I quite I mean in that sense that thing about it being so heavy on the visuals rather than the dialogue I mean I I, I think with the chess scene in this there's you know you can think well it's the part of the reason why it's so memorable isn't it is the fact that it's unusual and as you say particularly for the time it feels really quite outrageous and it's also quite funny isn't it there's something about how he kind of looks to camera and he looks a bit shifty I I quite like the way the whole thing feels a bit tongue-in-cheek and um, it it feels quite knowing doesn't it oh very much And, and plus as well I mean it's it's difficult to use words to make chess sexy so (laughs) that's true if you know, without being vulgar, and you'd like sounding like something out of Viz, but it has to be, it has to rely on other things because the, the chess pieces, they, the way they're using them, the, the looks, and, and I suppose, you know, maybe this was a, an advert for the chessboard. You know, this. I wonder how many people went out and bought a chess set after they saw this and thought, this is going to get the girls. I yes. Don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, probably. Mm probably um started a whole revival did you want to take up chess after this yeah but then i I didn't have 1968 fade Dunaway to play with um which makes it quite difficult because i suppose it doesn't really work on an app does it (laughs) 
did you say the other day, t- two people sitting opposite each other playing Wordle? Yes, yes, that's what the equivalent would be now, isn't it? Yeah, um, while looking up from their screen seductively. Yes, and saying, how many did you get it? <laughs> I got it <laughs> too, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that's what it would be like now. How things um, have changed. How things have changed. Uh, yeah, there's a, I, um, I like the way there's a big fire in that scene and then you have the fire with them again at the end at the beach when they've got their jumpers on. I like, I like how overt the, the heat is meant to be between the two of them. You, you get told that all the time. Well, the fact um, that they're in a sauna together as well. Yeah, and the sauna, exactly, yeah. So that, that runs all the way through it, doesn't it? And um, what do you think of the kissing scene? So following on from the chess scene... There's quite a long kiss, isn't there? That's that's filmed in, you know, mu- music over it, and they, with the camera sort of spinning around them as they, as they snog. It was like a minute long, wasn't it? Just, uh, yeah, and, it's striking and, in that way, isn't it? Yeah, very. And the lighting was sixties, and I guess it was supposedly them getting lost in each other. Perhaps. Yes. Yeah, I I slightly wondered whether it was still maybe. At this at this point in movie making, whether the appearance of a tongue was still a bit um, frowned upon, because one thing that's quite striking, I thought about it as an elongated snog, is that um, it's it's sort of passionate, but at the same time, it looks like they're they're trying not to not to let it get too 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 um yes the the the, the, the mouths are going to keep there's a certain amount of lip gloss will be kept on <laughs> yeah. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if they were trying to keep it at a certain rating back then, yeah, or or, yeah. or a lot of it was just the fact that the attraction and the relationship and the chemistry was between the hunt, in a way. the The fact that she was trying to, because at this point as well, it's. I mean, there was a couple of things that that were alluded to the fact that she was falling in love with him. Yes, yes, uh, and she feels a bit jealous, doesn't she, yeah. about the other woman? Yeah. And, um, you know, asked, when they went up to his sort of wannabe beach house, I was like, oh, have you brought any other women up here? Yeah. And and that's where it starts getting, sounds lazy to say, weird. Because she then is becoming compromised between her job and her lust for love or for just for the relationship. She's falling mm. in love with him. And, and it's difficult because... It's in it, watching her work because she's so highly regarded, and it's also made clear that she earns her money from a commission of the money that's returned. Yeah. So her livelihood also depends on this. Yes. In a yeah. way that, I mean, it's it's easy to say if you shack up with multi-millionaire Thomas Crown, you're probably set for life. Yeah. But um, but even so, she she wants her own status. And that's why when you get to the ending where he goads her into catching him red-handed at a bank robbery, she still turns up with the intention of catching him doing a bank robbery. Yes. She has her own agency. Yeah. And he is aware of that, but still has to have that self-preservation that he's going off to somewhere else and allows her to, to find him if she wants. Yes, completely, completely. I mean, I think her her role and um, the performance of it holds up well, doesn't it? She's um she's a she's a strong character, is Vicky, 
she's perceptive. It's funny though, isn't it? It's a different era. I was thinking that there's something about the combination of the of the of the affair running alongside the two of them with their own agendas. I mean, um, these days people would call it all very unprofessional, wouldn't they? <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to get in trouble for dipping your pen in the company ink or something like that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, in a kind of semi-serious tone. Yeah. And again, this is where her being at the behest of a private company makes it easier than if she were an actual police officer. Yes. Um, because then the conflict of interest would be huge. Yes, um, completely. Still happens, of course. Um, mm. But she's able because. She, she does ridiculous things like kidnapping a suspect's child in order to get to coerce him into testifying against Thomas Crown. Yes. You know, that, I mean, that's surely inadmissible in court. But <laughs> yeah. also the fact that she's willing to kidnap someone, a child. Yes. She talks about being, is it amoral or immoral? I can't remember which one. And she's willing to go that extra length in the way that a dirty Harry might. Yeah, I'm immoral, so is the world. It's something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's nice and refreshing to see. You know, just because you're not six foot four with immaculate hair and a Magnum forty four, you can still be a rogue bastard. Yes, great. yes, exactly, exactly. No, it's it's a it's a great match in that way, and even yeah, even to this day, that all feels quite refreshing, doesn't it? But, yeah, um, but I like the way she's still allowed. You know that. The thing of her, her vulnerability and her um, her kind of insecurity around kind of his his feelings towards her. I think all of that is. I like the way they they don't make her into just someone that doesn't seem in any way human or or kind of um open to those feelings. Because I think most people at that at that point of an affair would probably start to develop them, wouldn't they? Probably. Yeah. Not always, obviously, but sometimes. <laughs> I mean, the thing as well is that. She obviously lives quite a high life. If mm. she's getting commissioned for this, she looks... The way she dresses, the way she presents herself... I the, mean, the hats! Very, the hats! I mean, the I was hats! Gonna say, I was going to yeah. say the car. But the, the hats, the fabulous hats. Yeah, no one has ever worn a hat better than Faye Dunaway in a movie, I don't think. Because also, if um, in Bonnie and Clyde, she wears a beret like no one else. So Whenever I try and wear a beret, I'm always thinking in my head... Oh. Yeah, just try and try and get it as close to Faye Dunaway as you can. <laughs> I mean, she she looks like I'm gonna say million dollars, but she always looks fantastic. Yes, and and the fact is, they don't look like an odd couple. No, and and this is the weird thing. And I, I know a lot of film relationships or in or in anything that there is, you almost need that kind of disparity between them to overcome or whatever. But they look like they both belong. At the upper table. He yeah, said, says do. he who would be serving them from the lower table. Do you think that, that scene where he's in his yellow aircraft with his other girl watching him from the, the car and windmills of your mind is playing, do you think, you know, I was thinking this this has got to be so many guys' idea of the dream date is <laughs> <laughs> them just sort of circling the sky in their, in their aircraft looking like Steve McQueen as a drop-dead gorgeous girl sits in a car below just admiring it'd be a fun day wouldn't it you, you're sitting there on your own in an airplane that might crash <laughs> yeah. and, and your date I mean imagine if this was a first date go for a first date yeah. and it's like watch me fly this plane that's it you know 
You just sit, you sit in the car. You wait. Well, I, I used to I used to go out with a guy when I was a teenager. He he used to get me to do that, but it was him playing fruit machines, which is the same. <laughs> oh, that one's paying out. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So um, so I would very much like Thomas Crown then. Yes. To, yeah. Yes, completely. Literally breaking the bank. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's gone out of culture? I mean, this is a thing. I, I saw something about this on Twitter the other day. Someone, um, I should look, but there was a great article about how there, you know, sex in movies is, you know, is really going. It's becoming rarer and rarer. And, um, and that's the thing. I think sometimes because we were, when we were nippers in the 90s and the erotic thriller was such a big thing mm. i think um it felt then maybe that kind of um that having quite a a, a, a sexual film was maybe quite a, a specifically 90s thing but actually when i was watching this one i was thinking no oh, well you know it was obviously even though they could only show so much this film is one of the most sexual ones that we've watched you know there isn't any there isn't any big sex scenes but um the chess scene is just so erotic and and there's and it's implied isn't it i mean like all the scenes between them they look like they've either just uh, had a good time or about to <laughs> uh, and, and even you know even that scene where they're having breakfast it's sort of very it's very kind of post-coital and her hair you know kind of oh, looks all yeah. in sort of disarray and it's got very much that vibe of two people who are sort of you know a bit a bit tired from mm. everything and um yeah and I was thinking oh you know that it, it it does it does feel like something that that is maybe kind of going out of popular culture a bit in some ways I, I agree I think when you compare it to the 90s films and what and, and perhaps they were lacking necessarily like the chemistry or the tension and just being able to show nipples and things because, yes. you know, they're a handy substitute for a lot of things. But um, when, I mean, I guess if you look at something, say like something quite, when you look back, quite low rent, like, um, do you remember the film Sliver? Yes, with, yes. Yeah, Sharon Stone and one of the Baldwins. One of and, the Baldwins, yeah. And that was basically like I think that was maybe Sharon Stone's first film after Basic Instinct. Yeah. And it was right. She yep, she's going to get a kit off again, and it's all on camera, and he's a pervert landlord, whatever, which is mm. probably quite true to life. And um, <laughs> it was a bit, it was creepy, and I know that was the point of the film. Yeah. But then, when you look at this, you know they're going to get up to all kinds of shenanigans once yes. the cameras stop rolling. Yes. Like in theory. And they're able to just present it in that way. And like you say, I mean, the, the morning after when he's sitting there reading the, the Wall Street Journal, having breakfast outside that her, his butler has lovingly lavished over for probably four or five hours. And they're, they're just using it as fuel for the next round. Yeah, um, and she looks like she's wearing one of his shirts, maybe, doesn't she? Yeah, well, I mean, that's just yeah. sexy. It's always good when that happens. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he's sitting there topless, probably got a cigar on the go. Yes. Oh, what a life! Yeah, no, no, completely. And even those, um, even the time that they spend out of bed when they're doing things like speeding along the sand, you know, with her hair and the headscarf and um, sort of kissing while they're doing it. I mean, even even those scenes of them 
with their leisure time are still sort of, you know, very kind of charged, aren't they? It's mm. not, um, they don't really have any scenes of them sort of sitting awkwardly in a, you know, Nando's sort of <laughs> going like, I've had a really hard day. I'm really, I'm really stressed. You know, you what, what level of spice do you want? You know, well, as I was about to say, were, were you about to mention a low budget hotel chain of some kind? <laughs> They still aren't sponsored us. I just sit here, do nothing. That's it. You let me try. (laughs) (laughs) It's my funeral. I mean, when you think about the the career paths of, of the leads, when you look at Steve McQueen and, and Faye Dunaway, and Faye Dunaway, I think when she'd been cast in this, Bonnie and Clyde hadn't come out yet. Oh, right. Okay. So this was kind of, I think up till now, she'd done very little. And by the time Bonnie and Clyde came out in this, and she went on this run of, of films, you know, massive, massive films where she played, you know, um, like Chinatown for example, and, and yeah. the towering Inferno. And I'll always remember, I think the first film I ever saw him was Supergirl, um, yeah. which is random. When you look at, at that and, and the re- the relative points they were in, in their career, you know, McQueen was one of the biggest stars in the world, in, in mm. Hollywood anyway, and she was just starting out. And yet they matched in that way. You know, he's slightly older, but... Still, you know, she was able to play this. Uh, to say tease is putting it a bit bluntly, but she knew something about him. He was prime suspect number one. Yeah, and she was able, and obviously had the the decision to make. She had the 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 internal struggle of does she doesn't she go after him? Yeah, but um, but ultimately, you know, she, her job won. I like it's it's funny uh, as you as you say there is something about this era of films where even though she's just starting out and he's older and and more established they're very much man and woman and equally confident and um yeah no one I think maybe that's what makes this relationship work because I think if if it looked too overtly like one person had way more status or power than the other then it's the kind of relationship in a film that can maybe make you feel a bit kind of icky or a bit uncomfortable but I think that they do as you say a really good job of the fact that they're matched to the degree where part of the excitement of watching them together is the fact that um there's this cat and mouse game between the two of them where the power feels quite equal when we talk often around how the context changes when you look at it through our current eyes and we're talking 54 years later I mean do do you think that a film or a relationship like this now would work and and would have the same kind of the tension in it Or, or do you think I mean you touched on it earlier how you were able to have a scene like the chess scene with little dialogue. But do you mm. think 
it would work in a similar way now? I mean, were these, was this chemistry, was this relationship more timeless than some of the other ones we've done? I think that women maybe these days are under kind of a little bit more pressure to appear as if they are very professional at all times. And um, I think some writers of films might worry now that if they had their leading lady, as you say, sort of um, make some of the decisions that she makes in, in this and also the, the affair that she has, they'd worry somehow that people were, were taking something from that that meant that she should, you know, that as a character, she should be representing all women and that, you know, she can't be just someone, as you say, that's a, as much of a vagabond as a, as a guy is. What do you think? It would have to be, I say have to be, I think it would do better to have a little bit more nuance to it. Yeah. I guess the, the themes would really would remain the same and the fact that she does ultimately well it seems choose her profession over the man is a bit more of a modern thing although then it shouldn't be seen as quite an unexpected twist yeah but then I think you'd have to deal with it because she does points come across as a bit lovesick teenager not in a bad way but I think she goes there very quickly she's had quite a lot of sex with him i mean it's gonna you know might affect your brain chemistry a little bit i mean this is this is where the fact that this podcast is done by a man and a woman maybe comes through maybe (laughs) he says just (laughs) you're you're like you know lovesick teenager after they've only had sex 50 times i mean what's that yeah it's uh (laughs) how how our viewpoints change I mean, if, if you'd asked me that, I was 18, going, wow, once, <laughs> just once, <laughs> please. No, I, 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 know, I know what you mean, mm. though. I think they'd either, they'd either not have her having the affair at all, or if she did, she'd probably be more, um, yeah, more immune to the, to, to kind of fall, falling into the thing of feeling a little bit insecure. They probably wouldn't show that now. But I, I quite like that about it, actually, because I think that's quite often the case if you get into a thing with someone at a certain point, you do feel a little bit like that. But not always. Mm. Doesn't apply to everyone. I'm just saying that I think it's quite common. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she, she ponders herself, you know, but what do you get for the man who has everything? Yeah. yeah it's just... It's a hard life, isn't it? It is a hard life. One thing that I think is quite funny uh, is how Thomas does Dr. Evil laughing. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's like in bed with Faye Dunaway doing Dr. Evil laughing. All he needs is the little finger. Yeah, exactly. It's like this. This is a guy that um, that knows that he's hot because he's able to be in bed with this woman and do Doctor Evil laughing, and he knows he's not going to put her up. <laughs> She's not going anywhere.
So there's this film that Faye Dunaway's in with Marlon Brando from the beginning of the 90s called Don Juan de Marco. Mm. And I think that that's quite a sweet film. And yeah, I think you were saying before that it has a Brian Adams song, doesn't it, on the soundtrack? Like all I think good is, 90s films. Yes, I think it's... Have, maybe Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? That might be the one. <laughs> yeah. God. But yes, um, Marlon Brando, who's in our... Who we talked about in our Superman episode, didn't we? So. These films just all interlink somewhere, don't they? They do. They do. But then when... I mean, I, I jested earlier and we talked about Casino Royale. And yes. how basically Steve McQueen is the human mannequin for, for Daniel Craig. Sean Connery apparently turned down the lead role in this. And this would have oh, been... Oh, really? This would have been just after he finished his first run as James Bond. So it would have been, yeah, after You Only Live Twice. And then, of course, it was remade with a then-current James Bond as the lead. That's very interesting. Do you think that if we hadn't have had Steve McQueen in films like this, it wouldn't have been Daniel Craig in the end who got the role as the latest Bond? I'm not sure about that, but, I mean, you can just clearly see Daniel Craig's wardrobe is just a book of Steve McQueen photos and he go, I want to dress like that. Well, I, I don't think it's just that. I think also Daniel Craig, I think we've got so used to Daniel Craig now that we kind of forget that he's actually quite unconventional looking. He's certainly not classically handsome. And that was something that I was thinking about Steve McQueen in this as well, is he's so cool and, you know, you've become accustomed to him becoming an icon. But actually, when when you look at him, you think actually, you know, in comparison to some of the very regular featured handsome guys we have now in films he's quite unusual looking isn't he and as you said earlier quite rugged am i allowed to say they all look the same these these youngsters and their films i mean when you i yeah i think that's fair enough i mean i guess when you know i mentioned the towering inferno earlier i mean i suppose mcqueen's one of his contemporaries would have been paul newman who was probably uh, certainly less rugged and more I suppose more what you'd assume to be handsome because you had you know, smoother features and so on. But uh, yeah, it was a, a different time, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Um, in when the last time I watched all the president's men, I was thinking about how um they all have very real-looking faces in that film. And when you think about the fact that Robert Redford was the most kind of classically handsome actor of his generation even he in comparison to a lot of the actors we see now in films has a a face that looks like you know someone's actually lived a life you know Mm. it's not it doesn't have it's not kind of completely smooth you know it doesn't sort of glow in that way he looks like he's been through a thing or two and I you know I do I do think that's something that we've lost we sound so old right now but I it's true though yeah it gives a charisma to people, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, we can't all be John Hamm and... Oh, sorry. I, they, they ring <laughs> a little John Hamm bell. John Hamm. <laughs> and um, we should also mention the episode of The Trip where they sing mm. Windmills on Your Mind. Yes. Um, which yeah. is a great relationship in television between the mm. two of them. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something that this film really has, doesn't it? It's got a, It's got a very memorable soundtrack. It does, yeah. And it's just cool. It sounds lazy and, and, and I have to say it, but it's the sort of thing you could put on your 
Spotify or other streaming services are available <laughs> and and listen and just enjoy it and savor it and you don't need to watch the film it can it can live as a completely separate entity completely, of course having yeah. an having an Oscar winning song and a score like that is pretty special to go with it as well and I suppose it says a lot that that it got was it one two Oscars and that was one of them was for the music how do you feel about the way it's filmed you know the kind of um the jazzy style of the way they kind of do you know the the multi shots in in certain sequences and this that the other do you like that or i or I, not, or? I like it I think it's it's a nice thing because then when you see Bullet the year after the the title the the way that's done is is fairly similar. Um, yeah. Although when you read about the fact that it wasn't necessarily for stylistic purposes, but mainly to trim down the running time um, because the the scene with the heist and the phone calls they didn't want it they didn't want the film laden with five guys off making phone calls from phone boxes. They wanted to kind of keep it bit more efficient um yes but i liked it i mean it's again this is the joy of of going back to watch film old films i say old film my dad probably wouldn't he'd have moaned there weren't enough cowboys in it or something he was very much a a clint eastwood fan and Mm. but yeah i i think it was it was great i it's different it's hard to put yourself in that position now and, and go to a cinema in 1968 when you're used to a certain standard of or a certain style of filmmaking yes um, i mean to be honest if you took someone from 1968 and put them now they just go all oh, these films look the bloody same they're all made with a computer you know it's, yes it's easy to to compare disparagingly but then i don't think things are any better now you know we've had we have golden ages of films we talked to well you talked about erotic thrillers um, we're now in superhero land. It's just where we are. It's how things change. But yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I have. I have no no problem with it at all. I mean, I like the way because you touched on the Austin Powers films earlier, and um, I like the way the style of the way it's filmed makes you feel. I mean, the sixties are a sort of interesting era in that way because obviously. I wasn't around for them, but there's something about the atmosphere of a film like this. And the same goes for The Graduate, where you really feel like you've been um, plonked into that era when you're watching it. And you feel like you can almost sort of, you know, taste and smell it, don't you? It's like it's quite amazing in that way. So that some of the stylistic touches from a kind of um, retro point of view are quite pleasing, aren't they? In terms of the chemistry between these two... Do they rank, do you think, quite highly amongst um, the couples that we've dealt with in the films that we've done during these episodes? I think on a heat basis and that kind of, that spark, Mm. I think yes. I I don't think it has necessarily the longevity or I I think they'd have to go some to get some of the depth of some of the ones that we've had. But I think in terms of that kind of, that attraction... And, you know, it is laid on a bit, like you said, with the fires and the sauna and things like that. But there is something there that is missing in a lot of films. Um, Yes. What's past that? What's beneath it? I don't know. The fact that it's left with him sending her a telegram, basically saying, please come with the money or keep the rolls. It keeps it so cool. It's like, well, if you want to come, you know, bring the money or you can just have my car. Don't care. 
It's um, yes. <laughs> all yes. my love, Tommy. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> as you do. It's um, it's left open. But, yeah, completely. Um, but I think I think in terms of attract physical attraction, I think yes, it's up there. What about you? Yeah, I think so. As you, as you say, it's not quite the same thing as um, thinking that they're that they're potentially a couple that are going to grow old together. But yeah, you can definitely you can definitely imagine them having quite a pleasant weekend together, <laughs> can't you? Yeah, don't get much sleep, will <laughs> Imagine these two in high fidelity or something like that, having to wow. rem- having to surgically remove that heat and chemistry and attraction and put them at the end of a relationship yes yes completely (laughs) yeah that would be that would be weird i wonder what yeah i wonder what the what complaints these two would make about each other at the end of a relationship oh he's got too much money too much money (laughs) (laughs) i hate the way after sex he does dr evil laugh Well, as we pull on our cable knit sweaters and light another cigarette, we leave you with the question, do you play? I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And this has been Don't You Want Me. Don't you want me?